On this episode of Estate of Control, we talk about system upgrades and modifications and their impact on programming. How do you go about being successful in modifying existing programming? What does past me tell future me? And what do we do to make sure that clients understand the impact of these modifications and their associated costs? All that and more on Estate of Control. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. A state of control. A state of control, episode 74. Don't be clever. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Atlas IED, innovative audio solutions for every business environment. Welcome to A State of Control, an AV Nation podcast that highlights the control programming and automation aspects of the audiovisual industry. My name is Steve Greenblatt. I'm your host. Thanks for joining us today. So today's show, we're going to talk about how to approach updating or upgrading systems and the impact on control programming. So I think that'll be a very lively discussion. And with me to have that discussion are a couple of guests that I think will have a lot to share. And before we get to them, I'd like to say hi to my partner here at Estate of Control. He's none other than Rich Fergoza. How are you, Rich? West Coast greetings. Good to be back, buddy. Uh, good to see everybody. So yeah, I'm interested to, to talk about this one. Good, good to see you. I'm sure we're going to have a lot, lot of uh, fun stories. Uh, next, I'd like to welcome back uh, past guests who joined us uh, probably about a year or so ago in episode 61. He is Jack Colasar from Fourth Bit. How are you, Jack? Uh, doing well. Thanks for having me, Stan. Thanks for being here. And Jack's a, an independent programmer. Um, and uh, I'd like to now uh, say hi to a newcomer who's, uh, I know, a uh, longtime listener, but first time on the show. Uh, he is with Electroacoustics with our friend Luke Jordan, and his name is Jeff Perkins. How are you, Jeff? Howdy from Texas. I did not mention that, but I probably should have. It had come out at some point anyway. <laughs> we certainly know, we certainly know that i appreciate it good to have you jack hi jeff uh so uh, virtually every system that is done with av requires updating modifications whether it's user preferences system upgrades swapping out equipment uh or or ju- just fine tuning and Many of these updates require hardware or installation, and but most impact programming. So approaching programming modifications is kind of an art form. And uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about the specifics of that and, and how the, the, the way to approach that also impacts a client's perception and and the the success obviously of what we're trying to do so rich let's start off just by talking you know we've probably can count on our fingers and toes 10 times how many of these types of situations we've been in and sometimes we're working with our own code sometimes you're working with other people's code but what what 
causes us to be either successful or, or challenged by making updates to existing programming? Well, I mean, I think the, the first part is uh, the longer you're at this, the more you start to appreciate any work that past you did for future you. Um, I, I think that's the beginning. I think when you're new, um, the problem about being a rookie initially is that you think you can hold everything in your head and it will forever stay there. And as you get to your second project, your third project, your 5,000th project, that rule doesn't apply anymore. And so, um, you know, a, a big part of it is that it's, it's, it's inevitable. Um, and especially in tech, and, and we've talked about it before, we've seen an acceleration, um, you know, and not to date ourselves, but I was just talking to somebody about, uh, you know, a project that I did in 1992. And, uh, you know, the, the challenges that were necessary for that. And in the old days, the upgrade meant possibly literally swapping out a chip, you walked around with a little tube of chips, and <laughs> you, you opened the you opened it up, and you swapped out an EEPROM, and you put a new one in because you had written the program too many times. Um, but there was, uh, there wasn't as much of a rate of change 20 years ago as there is now. And so we're seeing, you know, you could go five, six, seven, eight years, 10 years between a generation change of a processor um, with the original control system processors. And, and now, yeah, I mean, three, four years, you're possibly looking at a cycle. And now we're moving into virtual controllers uh, and that's gonna move even faster. So. I think that it's two pronged. I mean, one is there's always going to be more jobs that you've done out there than jobs that you're doing. So you have to constantly take a look at um, what are the tools that you can put into place for when something fails. And it's not an if conversation, it's a when. And it's either going to fail, it's going to change, or it's going to upgrade. And so at the beginning of any project, those are the first three questions you have to look at. How am I going to deal with these three things? Once you get past those three things, then it becomes a matter of saying, okay, how can I make sure that I stay profitable? on these three things. And that's the big key, because I, I think that, and again, speaking as a business owner, and there's gonna be different people obviously watch the show, but, but from the business element of it, the part that I always consider is, what is the amortized cost of the project over the years? And you have to build that into the process, which is, you know, electronics are gonna go for whatever reason, and, and be, you know, be, be, regardless of change or something going weird. And so, uh, you know, I think that's the first part and you're building your pricing and, and you have to be able to take a two, three, five year look at the life of your project. I mean, on my residential projects, I, I offer a lifetime warranty and I've had to factor that in knowing that 10 years later, I might have to go back and look at something. Um, but, but that is a, uh, it's a challenge. Um, but it's something I have to think at, at the beginning of the project and, and hopefully put the steps in to help a brother out five years from now than going, oh man, what did you, you know, what pile did you leave for somebody else? So Jack, uh, I'll kind of uh, bring this over to you. I'll, you know, in, in, you're in a similar situation as I am, as Rich is in, where we're trying to run a business, but we're also trying to help our clients and, and we're, and, and, continue to support either systems that we've done or other people have done. When, when you're approached with this type of a, of a situation uh, and, you're, and you're talking about doing system upgrades, what, what, are, what are some tips that you would tell somebody in, in terms of the, this is a good way of going about this so that we can make sure that we get a good outcome? Because like Rich says, you know, we all want to be profitable, but I think 
the, you know, pr- primarily we, we want to be successful first. And, uh, and I think that, that that's the key to approaching this. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, well, I mean, I think there's probably two aspects of revisiting um, a, an existing project. I mean, there's one, there's just speaking strictly from the programming standpoint where, you know, you need that. Uh, for me, it's, it's uh, making sure there's tons of comments in the actual code, because I know when I first started programming, like going back and looking at that, like garbage now, <laughs> I'm like, Oh my God. And so like, you're, you're basically, I mean, I mean, for me anyway, you're, it's, kind of always hopefully progressing and um, building off of something prior. So it's, you know, going back 10 years from now, it's it's definitely not going to be the same. So it's very difficult to remember. And if there's, if they're actual systems, like even if they're DSPs or something that don't exist anymore, or that you did one time and completely forgot about it, you know, it helps immensely if you've, you know, properly documented, you know, within the code, um, but, um, you know, as far as like hardware changes go, I mean, like it, it does, it just moves so quickly that um, a lot of times um, if, if enough time has passed, it's really going to be starting over anyway. Um, and it's, it's, it's always easier when it's your system that you're upgrading. Uh, you know, obviously we all know that. I mean, getting a project that somebody says, oh, they just want to, change this matrix switcher out for a uh, digital media switcher and it's some project that you never did, then um, it's going to be difficult. You can't hop in somebody else's brain. So hopefully that person took the care to at least document and, and properly organize their code so that somebody else could come in afterwards. I think you should always um, approach every project like that, like as if, somebody else is going to be looking at your code because the more likely they will at some point. Um, so that's the way I normally approach that. Which, which is very responsible coding. <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> that. Uh, um, Jeff, I, I, you know, we, we, we kind of talked a little bit prior about that you're in a unique position where you, you have influence over design and, and also are responsible for doing code and, you know, Jack mentioned a little bit about, you know, when there are systems where you just have to start over. Um, how, how do you go about that type of a conversation? Well, that's, that's just what has to happen sometimes because something doesn't exist anymore or they want the new TV or whatever. So m- most of what we do, we don't do any residential. So that sort of eliminates half of half of uh, the, the universe of, of how do programming projects work. Um, so we're usually only ever dealing in the commercial space. And so those have a little bit of a longer lifespan and <clears throat> are able to sustain a few other things, but they also typically, they have already, whereas a family, that budget is much more expensive, you know, that dollar feels much more weighty to them, but at the commercial level, it's like, oh yeah, rep that crap out, let's start over. Video walls, do it, okay, we can do that. So um, there's a little less hesitancy about recycling old equipment, but then there's there's other times um, where we're very much, we're working with a house of worship and it is very much a, how much of this can we recycle? 
Um, and so then it, it does become a challenge. So, but I'm with Jack. When it comes time for me to take over somebody else's code, it almost is like, one, do we have the source code? Because often we don't. And then it is just a straight up matter of we got to start from scratch. And then secondly, even if I do have the source code, I don't know what that code actually does under the hood. So I'm just going to sort of mine it for information um, and then have to write it from scratch again. But I'm totally with Jack on the perspective of, I, I know that I'm writing the code. I know that I'm going to be testing it in the shop. But then I also know that I'm gonna have a guy that's going to go do the physical installation and going to be on site and I have a team of people because I'm at an integrator, um, we, we're interested in all the phases of the game. And so I'm gonna have a guy that's gonna be going back out in 12 to 24 months on service calls. And when we crack back open that code, future Jeff is gonna be really mad at past Jeff if we haven't written it clearly. Um, and so, uh, yes. So, so my, my MO is write it, uh, basically somewhat standardized. Um, but, but basically, you know, so I, we've, we've, the touch panel has to work and change its pages. So let's not invent new ways to make touch panels change pages. Um, there's no reason to, to not do that the same way over and over and over. And, um, and then I can teach my field tech, hey, all right, if you ever do have to open the code, one, you're gonna call me, we're gonna do this together, but, um, but here's how I do it over and over and over. And every project that you walk onto is going to look and feel familiar under the hood because I'm intentionally thinking about you're standing in that closet, not me. I really don't want either of us standing in that closet trying to make it work because, oh my gosh, it's no fun to be standing in a rat closet at 3 a.m. trying to make something work. That's no fun for anyone. So don't be clever. <laughs> so uh, I'll, I want to follow up on that and, and I'm going to actually ask Rich to comment on it a little bit because we've had this conversation about, and I love the idea of, you know, past me and future me, you know, so, you know, how do you, how do you balance innovation? And Rich, you could maybe share a little bit about this. How do you, how do you evolve your skills and balance innovation and still be able to have that type of consistency? Because I've come across it myself and, you know, and, and I, I can't say right now that, that I am do, doing actively writing code, but I remember days where I'd be able to say, hmm, this is me before I, I, I adopted my current style. So well, for people that need to get in to your code or for, even for yourself, how, how, how do you go about that where you're, uh, where, where you're, you're being consistent with, but also being innovative? Well, I, you know, what I've discovered that's, that's helped us, and it's really been only the past two years that, that I've made like a dedicated effort on no matter the size of the project, no matter the scope of the project, is making use of the collaboration tools that are out there. Um, it, it, it's if you're not using some form of centralized collaboration tool, 
um, as a contract programmer, even, you know, if you're a contract programmer, you're a third party, you know, service provider, if you're a third party service provider, you better be doing it, period, um, flat out. Um, if you're in an organization, you know, it, that's a bigger ship you have to kind of steer left and right, depending on the size of the organization. So I'm going to speak as a third party provider. Um, I absolutely, the first thing that I do is I find out whoever, whichever company I'm collaborating with, what their tools are that they use to communicate. So whether they're a Slack house or they're Google house or Zoho or, or any of these, the first thing that I do is I create that centralized document within their ecosystem. So say they use Google. Well, great. We create the master Google sheet that that project lives on. And what we've been doing so far is we've been taking that document, which has everything that we need, you know, network ports, IP addresses, stuff that you should be putting in your program anyway, but sometimes there's certain things that you can't fit in there. And we've just been embedding it in the unit, which again, future me and past me, now future me can go, oh wait, where did I put that? What directory? I can take a look inside a unit and pull that and go, oh, that's what I meant to do. Um, you know, th there is luxury now where, you know, again, we were talking about in, in 1992, I had 16K of RAM to work with. So I couldn't put a whole project and the documentation and the drawings and everything that I need in there. So, you know, the, the thing that we forget is that these processors have storage space. And it's not only a matter of what you keep. And yes, you should be using version control software and, and you know, scrum techniques and all of these others that are programming specific. But more importantly, we're providing a service. We're still the facilitators. And more so than ever, we're that repository of information. You know, again, you get a call from a tech. Well, I'm plugging this, you, you know, I've, I've got this unit in and, and the codex plugged in. Oh, yeah. By the way, did you notice that this unit is on a subnet unit because you are in a bank or you're in a, a hospital or you're in a government facility that this thing technically can't have Internet access? So you specifically have to put it here. If you don't put it here, nothing works correctly. Well, again, if those notes aren't there somewhere. You know, first case is obviously the program comments, um, you know, be able to pull it up and take a look at it. But the second thing is that that secondary, all of those backup situations to be able to refresh your memory, um, be able to pull it up. But like I said, at this point, the first thing that we have now is we have a communication channel that's opened with whoever the team is that we're working on. So we've got field techs, we have engineers, we have the salespeople, we have the programmers. So we maintain a dedicated communication channel for that project that we can archive. And then you go back two, two years later and you can pull that archive back up and say, here's what happened in the field. Here are the changes they made. Second thing that we do is we have that documentation. And again, with cloud services, if you're not using these, if you're not archiving them, you are doing yourself and whoever you're working with a disservice. And it's your responsibility to maintain it. You have to be the gatekeeper of that information. At that point, then you are the value added service, right? Because again, we've talked about it. The whole world is all about, you know, no programming required or, you know, it auto programs itself, you know, automagically. Um, uh, no, <laughs> I mean, there's still. Oh, I, oh, 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 oh no, they're, they're, they say that, but they're wrong. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, you know, I, I, I'm not necessarily worried about our career spans anytime soon. But more importantly, the transition needs to be 
we're going to be working with IT more closely. We're already continuing to, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm doing more networked audio in the past year than I have in the five years prior combined. Um, and it all comes down to information because you don't have physical connections anymore. You, and it's, it's silly, but it's true. You can't walk into a rack anymore and pick out a little cable and see a label on it and reference it on a drawing because they don't physically exist anymore. Those connections aren't physical anymore. So it's even more important to have some form of archive to be able to, to get in on. And like I said, this one's a big one for me because I'm bad. I was, I'm still bad at it. You know, I'll, I'll admit it. It's, you know, it's, it's a pain in the butt to go, okay, new project, you know, and whether it's a small house, whether it's a big house, whether it's 50 huddle spaces, I have to take the 15 minutes at the beginning of every project and go click, is the documentation set up? Is the communication channel set up? Are these things set up? They may not use it, you know, again, and I have to kind of bring them along. But if I set the standard that this is how it works, again, like I said, it's not necessarily for when you're right in the middle of a project, because we've all been at that at the project. There's this rush to the finish line. Everybody's keeping that information in the head. You've got 50 emails that go back and forth and 17 text messages, all of these things. You got to push it all back to the center. Because once you retain it there, you can archive it. And that is what, you know, like what I call the tribal knowledge, right? That's where the tribal knowledge of a project is, right? That archive, that information. And now more than ever, we can access it. It just doesn't go into the ether anymore after, you know, 50,000 emails prior. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm a little hot about that one because, you know, like I said, I, I, I am just, I'm on it and on it and on it because that's, that's what I feel I'm bringing right now to the companies that I work with. I'm, I'm bringing with them that diligence on a project so that they're not hemorrhaging two years later. Jack, I'll, I'll uh, kind of, I think you could probably relate to a lot of this stuff, you know, with, with regard to the, the value that we provide. And we actually talked about that in our last, uh, one of our re recent podcasts, how programmers do a lot more than just write code. And, um, and, and you mentioned about documentation and, you know, what about how, how do we keep good records and do file revisions and, you know, because one of the biggest, bigger ways to stub your toe is modify a program that may not be the latest. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, and, and typically when you go in and work on somebody else's, that's always the big thing. Like you talk to the owner and they're like, oh yeah, I have the source code. And like, uh, there's probably a six out of 10 chance that this is not current, but okay. You know, but, um, for me, what, when I when I moved on to my own, that was one of the that was one of the huge benefits is that I now get to choose how I'm how I'm versioning and 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 storing all of my documentation personally. And for me, it, I, I moved on to to get to a proper versioning system, and it's uh, it's just so much easier for me to to put the changes in and not have to have nine million different file revisions of the same file. You know the same. You know copy and copy and copy so um keeping that you know in the cloud and then i also at at home in my office i've got you know my a desktop setup and then when i go out into the field i've got a laptop so i just go into the laptop and you know just pull down the latest um source and i'm good to go from there so it's it allows me to be mobile it allows me to track all changes properly 
Um, and then within those same directories per project, I also keep um, similar to what you're saying, you know, all the IP address schemes. Cause I mean, not only like networked audio, but obviously network videos, especially in the commercial, it's I'm, I'm almost, I'd say probably 50%, if not more is, is network video now, as opposed to uh, digital media or something else. So, you know, all of that IP scheming, passwords, you know, whatever, um, keep me in a centralized spot. And then I also try to share, um, like I personally use Microsoft now. I used to use Google. I moved to Microsoft. And so I keep shared directories for my clients so that they have access to a separate folder that has their source code, um, that document, that same documentation. And then I always, put my source code on the processor as well. Um, every processor, whether it's Crestron within the archive or um, AMX is the SRC, it's just, I, I just always, they can have it. I don't care. I don't care if anybody uses my code, you know, whatever. Um, so I just, for me, and that's, that's different for a lot of people, but for me, I'm providing a service. I'm not providing, it's just words. So on a piece of paper, so, uh, or, you know, on a, in a file. So I, I just, uh, you know, I, for me, I'm getting paid to provide that service so they can have the source code, do whatever they want with it. As far as I'm concerned. Jeff, uh, um, I, you mentioned about having other people in your team modify code. And I think that, you know, for you, it, it, it's a little bit different because I would imagine more of the projects that you upgrade are your own projects, but I'm sure that there are some that are, are not. Um, the, how, how does the conversation go with a client about what, the what ifs when, when, you, when you're in these types of situations and, and you know, hopefully there are not things that, that we cause, but there are gonna be a lot of unknowns, especially for, for systems that are much older. Yeah, when, when we're taking on somebody else's problem and trying to fix it, there, there's just a conversation that takes place about, as Jack said, maybe this is the code, maybe it's not. And for the most part, we're gonna say it's not because we know that in our own case, that it's not uh, most of the time, that we have the source and we can point you to the source, but, uh, but when we walk onto somebody else's project that we're trying to fix, and, and this is what we're talking about, we fundamentally can't trust that what they have is actually running. And often it's also because something is broken and so it's going to need to be repaired and or replaced. And in that, now we're, we're talking about, um, you know, do you really, do you really want to keep, and plus half the time, um, so one of the things that I spend a lot of time really laboring over is the GUI of the touch panel. And for the most part, when we're walking into somebody else's place that we haven't owned before, the touch panel is terrible and they don't know how to use their system and they frankly don't like using their system and they only kind of know how to use their system and now the thing's broken and so we don't even know anymore can you even make it work and so um the conversation usually turns around we can make it work um but here are the challenges 
we don't have the code. We don't have the touch panel code. We probably can't make, we're just in a really tough situation. And so we got to talk about how do we get back to a full working system? Um, it's difficult. So, so one of the things you touched on before that I wanted to see if you could expand upon is that a lot of times you look at a system and, and the solution is, this is not the equipment that we work with. We're going to replace it with what we do work with. What goes into that decision-making criteria? Because you know, I've always told people that it doesn't matter what the brand on the equipment is. It all works. It's how it's programmed that, that is, is the difference maker. Right. Um, hopefully I didn't give the impression that our answer is rip all this stuff out and put in this other manufacturer. That isn't, that isn't the answer. And that's not what I meant to, meant to uh, provide as much as. That does happen though. Oh, it, <laughs> and I, oh and certainly. I, and I hate that. Yeah. That perfectly it's, rip out a perfectly good control system. And, you know, just because that the new integrator doesn't happen to. Yeah. No, that. that or, for sure. And that's not what I was meaning to represent. It was more of often we, we come into situations where your equipment's really old. You know, Extron doesn't really make five wire switchers anymore. Perhaps we should move forward from that technology. Um, and no, you don't really need VGA anymore. No, let's not do that. Let's not keep, but I need a VGA connection. No, you really don't. But I got a laptop that does no, you actually don't. Um, and if you do, just throw it in the bathtub for a minute and you'll be so more, so thankful to have a brand new laptop that has HDMI or something. Um, so for us, it's really more of, let's let go of the really old technology. It's not that we can't make it work. Um, the Extron code is fantastic and has been the same for 25 years. And um, there's nothing simpler than telling an Extron switcher what to do, but but yeah, let's let's move forward and um, and adopt the the appropriate technology for the time. That's that's more of where we find ourselves sometimes in uh, Steve. But yeah, we wouldn't want to rip out a system just because we're more comfortable with with brand A over brand B. But now, perhaps I'm also to turn the tables a little bit. I am in the apparently luxurious position of being able to um, have a team that meets with the client. And uh, this, is, this is actually expanding my mind for a minute because, because I get direct influence over how the salesmen interact with clients. Um, I get to pick the, I, I get to, I get to, I, I've been drawing an AutoCAD this last week on how to uh, make a, a networked um, audio and video uh, system at, uh, at a brand new conference center. So I actually, right, so I have this luxurious position of, I'm picking the product, I'm making sure that it's going to integrate correctly, and then I get to do the integration. Um, and so for us, um, because we get to own the whole the whole process from the front door to the back door and then get to stick around and uh, do the service as well. There's actually a lot of, a lot of intentionality about um, picking products, making sure they work together, making sure that we can make them work together. 
um, and making sure that we have happy clients that um, don't have problems in the long run. I think that's a, a, a really good place to stop and a good and a very, very good advice. And I think along with that, it also means that there's a little bit more emphasis on making sure that you're, you're going to write code too, that you're going to be happy with that's going to, because it's representing you and, and all of that is going to impact what, what you're going to be able to do in the future. So, and, and I, I wasn't implying that you were, that you were trying to swap brands. So I oh, just, no. it just, it just was, it's, it's a good topic to discuss because I think it often happens uh, to Jack's point. So thank you guys for being part of this show. I uh, think it was a great conversation as I anticipated. Um, I'd like to thank Jack Colasar from fourth bit. Jack, how can people reach you learn more about your company and what you're up to? Um, they can visit the website. It's uh, fourth bit, the, it's the number four, thbit.com, and um, can go from there. Sounds good. Thanks for being with us. Jeff, Thank hopefully you. this is a good experience, and we'll tell Luke that uh, his spot may be taken in the future. Uh, <laughs> and uh, thanks for being with us. How could people get in touch with you and learn more about electroacoustics and uh, Fort Worth, Texas? Ah, sure. Yes. Okay. So uh, our website is www.eavi.com, echo alpha victor indigo.com. Uh, my email is jperkins at eavi.com. And I have a Twitter, but I don't really do the AV and the AM thing too much, a little bit. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit. I, I used to do a lot, but now I don't really. But anyway, I'm at Perkins underscore Jeff on Twitter. Don't, don't at me, bro. Uh-oh, you're in trouble now. <laughs> and last but not least, Rich, another good show. How could people get in touch with you and learn more what you're up to? A uh, couple of places, obviously. You type my name into the interwebs and random things will pop up. Um, you can find me uh, at our website, fregosadesign.com. You can find me on Twitter, at rfregosa. But I will say once, I will say always, the best place I hope you find me is here on avnation.tv on our suite of shows, either with my good friend Steve or my occasional appearances on Resi Week with Matt Scott. And uh, to add to that, please, uh, while you're at uh, the website, avnation.tv, visit the supporters and uh, thank them for making this show and other shows possible. Uh, to reach me, Steve Greenblatt, uh, you can, my company can be found at controlconcepts.net or um, very easy to find on social media at Steve Greenblatt. But uh, I, uh, we also want to hear from you. As I mentioned on a lot of shows, we're, we're uh, uh, looking to make sure that this show is uh, speaking to the topics that are timely and important in the industry. And we want to get feedback. So please reach out to us. And uh, we're also welcoming new guests on the show. So uh, please uh, reach out to Rich or myself or leave a message on the Aviation website. Uh, other than that, that's all we have for today for A State of Control. Mm -hmm.